1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. Stephanie Russell. Right this way, right this way. Oh, oh, hey there. Oh, Uh, watch your step. Uh, Welcome, listeners, to the Art Slice Museum Laboratories Division of Color Theory and Color Studies. Art Slice LDCTC. I'm Russell Shoemaker. I'm Stephanie Duenas. So, listeners, if you're just joining us for the first time, this is not your typical Art Slice episode. So, if you're looking for a serving of art history, a good place to start is episode 8 featuring Van Gogh's Master Studies of Utagawa Hiroshige, a famous Japanese ukiyo-e artist, totally changed Van Gogh's life. Or some listener favorites are episode 10 and 11 mm. featuring Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo's time in Detroit, Michigan. Check it out. Our Pontremonts have been hard at work compiling data from listener submissions for a once top secret project that we are about to officially unveil. Go ahead and read it, Stephanie. I'm going to slide it over to you right now. Okay. Color, building a better tomorrow today. <laughs> Is that the great slogan that you've all been talking about? Hey, they don't read or, I mean, they kind of read. Well, I mean, they did compile all this data. Many of you may be asking why. Why color? What is this all about? Listeners, remember those kind of vague color surveys that you all had to fill out a while back? Well, we did a little something with them. A little something. A little something. Us humans have been trying to categorize color, understand how colors exist, behave, how it changes, how we perceive it, how it impacts us. And that's why we asked you to fill out the color surveys. We wanted to better understand our different experiences with color. You're born. And from day one, you are immediately faced with color, right? This unknowable and strange and beautiful phenomenon that structures everything around you. Like from the toys you had when you were a kid, they're pink or yellow or whatever. Or playing outside the dense black dirt that's been recently saturated by a rainstorm. And then bright green grass that soaks up those nutrients. Fiery orange clouds that are floating in the horizon that delineate one section of the sky from the next. Color is so important. It's so knowable. We all know it, but it's also very unknowable. And in this little mini series, we're going to touch on the history of color theory, talk about the history of the pigments behind the paint, then get into ours and most importantly, your association with those colors, listeners, as individuals, as a culture, as memory. Because if you're an artist, an art admirer, a designer, if you work on custom cars like Tio Fred, exactly, or if you're living, just living in the world, color impacts you in ways that are obvious, but also not so obvious. And our mission here at the Art Slice Museum's Laboratories Division of Color Theory and Color Studies is for us all to live a fuller life through color today. We're also, we're going to workshop this mission statement. It's a little (laughs) bit wordy. Stephanie, what is our first color? Russell, today we will be discussing Viridian Green. Okay. And we thought we'd kick off this series with this particular color because Russell and I kicked things off back in the day on an arguably arguably Viridian Green colored couch. All right. So in case you didn't know, listeners, 
Russell and I are partners, but when we first met up, it was in this very, very cliche <laughs> hipster coffee shop slash bar, which look, Russell look, picked out. Look, I didn't know you, Stephanie. I thought uh, this girl looks classy. She's got a re- <laughs> she's got she's got a real clean face. Oh my gosh! She might not enjoy my favorite divey pinball bar that smells like an old pho shop because it is next to an old pho shop. So I opted for the uh, the you know the exposed wood uh, felted baseball pendants from you know the 1920s, whatever you know. Right. They got drinks called the spruce caboose. They have like a, a piece of basil on them. Okay, right. So a pinball bar does not have fresh basil. This is true. They have a hot dog machine yep. with week old hot dogs probably mm-hmm. one time they just had like a crock pot did they yeah just oh, a crock God. pot with like a cheese dip in it it's like it's oh. so, it totally self-service totally toxic yeah. haphazard this is pre-covid by the way yeah oh yeah definitely not that the crock pot wouldn't cook out the covid don't this is misinformation <laughs> What? That's not true. I'm going to get flagged? I don't know, man. I'm just saying. Don't test it. Don't get a vaccination. Just get a crock pot. <laughs> just get yourself some nuke nacho cheese. Okay. That was a joke. Not that real. That was a joke. Parody. Totally. Parody. Joking. Parody. Very much joking. Which, okay, to be fair, we were both like, ew, this place sucks. Let's actually like go to the, Let's go to the pinball, pinball bar. bar. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. agreed. But also rude for underestimating my tastes. Thank you. Anyway... <laughs> But the hipster basil bar had a green couch, right? Mm. A Viridian green couch, mm. I is, think. Yeah. It yeah. was Viridian. This is a contentious part of our relationship, listeners. I imagine you're just tuning out. I'm very sorry. No, this is important, listeners. Don't tune out. Because <laughs> we have evidence. We have photographic evidence. Okay. We have found images of said couch, even though the bar is long gone. Despite photographic evidence of this couch, Russell is still insisting that it is not Viridian. Yeah. Listeners, I think you will back me up on this. Sorry to make you choose sides. It's very close. I think this couch is a little more phthalo, okay? Which, to some, they may say, hey, Russell, back off a little bit. They're basically <laughs> the same color, but no, phthalo is a little more saturated. It's a bit more vibrant, and Viridian's more earthy, so they're going in different directions. It's a fork go- in the road. Yeah, it's the fork in the road. They're traveling together at some point. They just split off. Right. So this is our point. Like a lot of color, Viridian is really difficult to place. Yeah, so Viridian is a bluish green, meaning that it's it's green first with some blueness that follows. So immediately it looks green, but if you look a little longer, it starts to look a little blue. But it's still it's a little bit earthy, right? It feels okay. like it could maybe be like a like a pine tree needle, hmm. right? Stephanie's a charmer, listeners. She really is. She's very charming. But this couch, like, okay. don't let her sway you. This couch Weird. does not look like it could be a pine tree. And maybe a fake Christmas pine tree. Oh my God! Look, the photographs are <laughs> no. off. Sabes que I the photograph. Are off. You what are I saw. Yes. It was Viridian green. Color uh-huh. Uh-huh. is so complex, uh-huh. okay, depending on the lighting. Uh-huh. I'm accounting for some... the Edison bulb lighting. Uh-uh. I see natural light shining through the window. Okay. I, okay. But also, the light reflecting off of the material, I am just talking about the material itself. Okay, you know what? Colors will change, and not everyone <laughs> will see the same thing. Okay, you're right. Stephanie's right. It depends on the health of our eyes. What, Rude, are what, you what, saying what... I have bad eyes? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> what, what coffee you had. Maybe you didn't have very good coffee that morning, okay? How our neurons are firing, right? Our different experiences and memories with this couch and how it looks totally different in photographs right now is what makes color so interesting, right? Right. So let's just get into it, listeners. You can find some of the images we are about to discuss on Instagram at ArtSizePod and all of the images we are about to discuss on ArtSizePod.com where you will find a couch photograph of this couch in the Viridian section. And so you can take a survey. What I'm trying to get to is you can take a survey, okay? You can take a survey 
way under this episode <laughs> description on our website. Where or you, you can back me up. No, you no, you need to have back me up listeners. No, don't back up either one of us. Don't take sides. Just look at it and tell us what you think. And keep in mind the Edison <laughs> bulb lighting. Keep in mind that it's a texture that's, you know, the light is hitting. Keep it, you know, take into account everything, all the evidence. Hey, Chips. Chips. The overhead projector. Thank, no, no, that's the GameCube. Okay, no, yeah, that one, that one. All right, there we go, there we go. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm just gonna do a quick presentation, okay? All right, let's go. All right, this is gonna be on how we perceive color chemically. It's a hot new segment here on Art Slice called How We Perceive Color Chemically. I like it, Good. me gusta. Light is a wave, and for our human purposes, only certain wavelengths are visible to us. There are wavelengths that birds and mantis shrimps can see that we don't see, right? But on average, humans can see about 10 million gradations of colors from the wavelengths we do see. When those light wavelengths hit a surface and reflect off of that surface back into our eyeballs, that color comes with it. The wavelengths are then absorbed by the retinas in the back of our eyes, and depending on how your particular retinas work, there are all sorts of responses that then travel down the optic nerve towards the brain. The brain pulls out a big wacky straw, one of those loopy wacky straws that are neon green, sticks it into the optic nerve juice and starts slurping it up, right? Oh, no. It's kind of like how your mouth starts to water right before you know you're about to eat some, like, delicious Laotian food or something, you know, that you've had before. You have this delicious association with it. Your mouth just starts to water. You know what I'm talking about? I'm hearing slurping sounds in my head. Okay. A sense memory of that deliciousness. Mm -hmm. So your body's just like, oh yeah, yeah. And that's what the brain does. Okay. (laughs) It starts to process all of this. Neurons and synapses, they start hopping on board. And as it makes its way back to the visual cortex, an image as well as an association or a feeling, Mm. it all starts to form right in front of us. Like Peligro Red, which you can find on a stop sign or a fuego extinguisher. Exactly. You associate that color of red with a fire extinguisher. So let's get into the characteristics of Viridian Green. Viridian is a cold organic green. Organic meaning that it's earthier. So you might find Viridian in a staghorn fern. It's a color that is natural instead of feeling processed like a synthetic. And yes, we know that synthetic colors have their origins in the natural world. We will get to that. So a cold organic green of medium saturation, but it has a dark value, Mm. meaning that in its purest form, it skews a bit velvety instead of being vividly bright. Saturation, listeners, means how bright something is, how much pigment is packed in there, if you remember back to episode one. Something that is highly saturated is going to scream that color. But Viridian is more of a medium saturation. So, like Stephanie said, very good descriptor, it starts to feel velvety. The velvet absorbs light, and so it just doesn't feel as bright, not as crisp. Something with a low saturation might start to feel like a little chalky or milky. And then value, if you had Viridian next to a neutral gray, and then you flipped a switch and made everything grayscale, how much darker would Viridian be than that neutral gray? That is how we define value. So in this case, it would be a lot darker than that neutral gray. Like we said, Viridian is definitely a green, but if you're imagining a color wheel, it's creeping towards blue. So a slightly sort of blue-green. Mm-hmm. As a paint, provided you are buying a quality paint, it is usually a tiny bit translucent in its pure form, making it really wonderful for layering. Or if you mix white colors with it, it tends to start looking almost like seafoam, but not that happy Miami seafoam mm-hmm. that you're thinking of. Right. Definitely not. Like a gloomy, overcast day seafoam. Mm-hmm. 
seafoam that's like ref- reflecting the gray sky above. Yes, emo seafoam. Emo seafoam. Emo seafoam. I like that. With the bangs in front. Emo. <laughs> the and they're fringe. Eyes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and some very tight pants. Okay, now on to its digital equivalent, D- right? So <laughs> What? <laughs> Just a digital. Oh, okay. Wait, I'm sorry. Digital. Digital. Okay, website, hex codes, plastics, house paints, <laughs> designer paper sets like ColorAid seem to understand where the color is at on the color wheel, but it also seems really devoid of characteristics that make Viridian Viridian. So that is its ability to be a little bit translucent one moment, and then the next moment be kind of milky or frothy or dark, like you're like you're in a deep forest in in, in the November winter. You kind of lose that real world tangibility. Yeah, absolutely. Like the idea you might be able to find this in the wild. Absolutely. And we are biased because being that decent artist paints are made from minerals and earth substances, they typically have a quality that is difficult to capture in a heavily processed form like plastic, like house paint, like hex codes. But luckily, you can ignore our biases because we had a couple of designer listeners chime in. Listener Anne said, I would definitely use this color for branding. It's classy, Hmm. professional, but still friendly and gentle. Now to the absolute abomination that is the Pantone version of, quote, Viridian. (laughs) And a few of you caught this issue as well. So good job, listeners. (laughs) This Pantone Viridian stuff, this is not Viridian. It is not. This is teal. I have all these swatches here kind of laid out. (laughs) All right. Viridian looks like a brighter, almost bluer version of teal. You can go see it on our website. I think I've made my case very clear. Pantone, I expect your letter of resignation in the morning. Yes. 1 a.m. This is embarrassing. Pantone. It really you is. You think you're hot shit? Naming a color every year. Like, yeah. Who are you? You think what you're hot shit? are you? I'm looking at this Viridian green right next to this cobalt teal. That's a cobalt teal. Shameful. Shameful. Shame. Get out of here. Full. This is actually not uncommon. Listener Sophia at Sophia Ordaz, thanks for sending this in, Sophia, had this to say. When I look at the Pantone swatch of Viridian Green, it makes sense to me why so many languages didn't have separate words for blue and green. Mm. For example, Japanese used to have one word to represent the hues English speakers associate as blue and green. Later, a separate word for green, Midori, was coined. Excuse my pronunciation. Which I totally get. I I still don't know if we have correct classifications for color. It's either, I don't know, how how do you define color? If I don't know immediately, it's like reddish orange or Mm. reddish brown. And sometimes there's one color that is more present than the others. Um, (laughs) But now that I'm saying that, I'm thinking that whatever is around it also affects the first color that I perceive. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. Or there is a fucking super complicated numeric system. 895EX3, like smiley emoji. Digital. Yeah. Digital. Digital. Or it's just like a dumb name, like Tuscan Green or something. <laughs> I don't know, you know? What? Tuscan Green? Well, a little bit like how arrogant of humans to try and like harness all the colors. Yeah, we got to organize things, stuff. We, we try. We got to categorize. We gotta do, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. All right, let's get into the history. People have tried for centuries to make a green pigment. The ancient Egyptians oxidized copper minerals to use in temper paint. Have you seen like a nasty, moldy looking penny? (laughs) That's exactly what it is. This green oxidized copper green was more of a blue-green color that would have been slightly similar to the Statue of Liberty's unique patina. However, the pigment was very unstable and tended to turn black after only a few decades. 
the Romans used that same copper oxidation effect because they're copycats, but they <laughs> like to soak copper in wine first. Because that's what they had. And they call that pigment verdigris. This was still an unstable and toxic pigment, but it lasted a lot longer than the Egyptian green. Finally, in the 16th century Renaissance man, Paolo Veronese. Actually, what did I do bad? <laughs> I kind of fucked it up there at the end. Veronese? Veronese. Pa. Pa. O. O. Lo. Paolo. 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 Vero. Vero. Neze. Paolo Veronese. There you go. Paolo Veronese, a Venetian Renaissance painter who might have crossed paths with uh, Mr. Greco from time to time, came up with a formula to harness this unstable pigment. Right, because up until this point, if you wanted green, you had to use a yellow tinted glaze mm. layered over a blue pigment to achieve any sort of green. To make a stable green, he actually needed to use multiple layers of paint, starting first with a pure white layer of paint, then followed by a mixture of the Roman verdigris with some white and yellow to get more of that grassy green. It's a whole process. Yes. And finally, he would use that Roman verdigris again, mixed with wax and turpentine for a final thin layer of paint. Light comes across the room, goes through the translucent paint, hits the white and projects it back to us so we get a cleaner vision of that green. This is why it is encouraged painters that you prime your surface. Gotta prime next time. Hashtag Edward Munch. It did brown eventually, but it was a semi-stable predecessor to Viridian Green, which he named after himself. Of course. Obviously, Veronese Green. Veronese Green does not look like the Viridian we use today, but actually more like that Pantone Viridian, a kind of warm, softer teal. Yep. Certainly colors that he would have seen every day in the Venetian canals. So maybe Pantone. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're just, uh, maybe they're old school. Like how old school? Like Renaissance old school. They're like, no, we're going back to the Ridge, all right? Finally, 200 years later, people were dying for a green color, literally. Oh. Lots of people died by exposure to various green pigments. The more beautiful, the more toxic. But here comes Steve Paint Tube, if you remember him, with a, with a long beard, who was gone <laughs> for many years, just like he was gone for almost a whole year from Art Slice. People thought he froze to death. There was all this lore around a, a, a big, hairy Loch Ness monster creature who roamed. That's not correct, but anyway. But he's coming down from the mountains holding two stone tablets like Moses of green chromium minerals, okay, which were then rushed off to a lab surrounded by a cavalcade of military and police. And by 1859, after broiling, boiling, acidifying, okay. and pulverizing, we have a stable, not very toxic green called Viridian Green. Damn. I mean, like, how exciting, right? Like, what would you do one day if there's just a fucking new color? You're just like, yeah, hey, new color. Go throw all it. my money at it. Yeah. That's what I would do. Artists eventually got their hands on it. The blue quality of Viridian lent itself well to skies and oceans, then Mixing it with orange or earthy browns made this beautiful earth tone. Van Gogh, Monet, Cezanne, all jumping on board. All right, listeners, so we're here. The Pantry Mons have handed us a clipboard full of your answers. Question number one. What are your immediate thoughts when you look at Viridian Green? Stephanie, what are you thinking? Deep, nasty lake water. Okay. Listeners, you think you know, but you don't know. Like, yeah, no. Nasty, we're from the, we're from the Midwest. lake water, yeah. okay? Ugh. It feels slimy. And I swear to God, if like a fish bumps yep. up next to your leg, no, fuck that. Lakes, okay? <laughs> Kansas lakes. No. Especially where we grew up. Okay, y'all, yeah. this no. is, it's gross. It's gross. All right. Green. This is stagnant water, listeners. This is not, <laughs> this is not a water that is churning. This is a water that is sitting. <sighs> my face. If you could just see my face. Like Ugh. frogs and snakes. I'm getting nauseated. Anyway, one 
when I usually think of this green, though, I actually think of phthalo, mm. not viridian. Kind of like the couch. Stop it. One of my professors actually introduced me to this color. He was always trying to get me to take his color class. Um, hashtag regrets. I never did. And then you and I met on that couch, and it was very similar. So you never took the the color theory class? No, I regret it to okay. this day. Let me explain. Let me explain. I think that's uh, viridian. So some <gasps> common themes in this what? first answer from you <laughs> listeners. We have uh, a deep, dense green forest on a cool day, or some of you listeners were talking about kind of what Stephanie was talking about, deep, unknowable water. So immersion is a common theme mm. between a lot of your answers, being surrounded in the spectrum of this color, but also a lot of you mentioned dreariness. I agree with you listeners. Appalachian, Appalachian, how do you say it? Appalachian? Appalachian? I did not know there were so many ways to say <laughs> Appalachian. Appalachian, mountain trails, or on the opposite side of the country, just those uh, very Pacific Northwest vibes. Got some Twin Peak vibes there, right? Mm, I can see that. Or Vancouver's for you uh, Canadian listeners. That's Vancouver. That's how I like to say Vancouver. I know. I'm aware. (laughs) I got the same thing. A cloudy, damp atmosphere that just brings out the greenest tones in the forest. I'm thinking tall evergreen trees Mm. that are casting shadows that are, you know, the shadows are a bit translucent. And, you know, Viridian, while it shows up in nature, it's not the one that shows up the most, right? Hmm. So you're just seeing little bits and pieces of it here and there. You're walking through the forest canopy filled with these giant ferns. It's raining a little bit. You're walking towards a craggy, moody beach. Okay, if you can envision this, your rain jacket. Trying to. Making that noise. Yes. Next to your eardrums. That pitter-patter. Yeah. Mm. But your blood's flowing. You're, you're feeling good. You're feeling great. So a uh, listener who asked to be anonymous, who I'm going to nickname the Viridian Killer, as you'll... Yeah. <laughs> Give me that look. Okay. We mean it in a complimentary way. So she said, when asked, what is your favorite color? Viridian green doesn't come up. I find this green to be ugly <laughs> in its pure state. Aww. Just right off the bat. Okay. Uh, I don't like to look at it. <laughs> I consider it a necessary color, Aww. a staple, actually like this part, a basic tool hmm. like a nail. It's a color used a lot, but not really appreciated. Okay. And so when I first decided to call Anonymous the Viridian killer, <laughs> because I thought she was being a little harsh to uh, Mr. Viridian over here. Right, but or misses or they true. But I was like, you know, actually, I kind of feel this way about a lot of blues. <laughs> like Tell exactly me about that. It. Tell like me about blue, it. like blue is very utilitarian. It, but it's yeah. paraded around. It's literally in parades as, as some wonderful <laughs> color, right? But it doesn't do a lot for me. So I huh. get it. I totally get it. A utilitarian color like a nail or a staple. Question number two. Do you associate this color with any specific memories? We got some really great answers Mm. on this, and I kind of already answered this one with my couch story. Okay. But I wanted to ask you first, Russell. Okay. All right. Let's go. A little youth Russell. (laughs) Youthy Russell. Youth Russell roaming around small town America looking for a youth-sized jersey (laughs) of his favorite football player, Mr. Brett Favre. Okay. Okay. This was before the croc pick, all right? Ew. With his penis in it. Ew. And before he supported Donald Trump for president in 2020. Extra ew. Yeah, extra True. Parents were like, no, we're not buying you that. Were they expensive back then? I don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to grow out of it, right? <laughs> right, right. Okay. So they take me to this hometown t-shirt shop. Your local t-shirt local shop. Local t-shirt shop. Okay. Which was making reproductions of jerseys. <laughs> Okay, but I don't know if they were afraid that the NFL was going to get wind of this tiny town in the middle of nowhere that was making, you know, fake Brett Favre jerseys. <laughs> so they decided to make, you know, to make it bootleg, you know, it's like a little like, off, like off. Maybe the V and the R were switched on Favre. No, it's Favre, you know, or something like that. But but <laughs> no. the colors, I, I remember looking at it and being very disappointed because it was not that Packers color, right? It was not that Packers green. It was, it was very much a Viridian green with what only can be described as a cheese it orange, like for the stripes and the name. So 
a bootleg Packers green yeah. with a cheese at orange. If I had that now, I'd put that on eBay. I would I'd be a millionaire because it's beautiful. Beautiful bootleg. All right, listeners, you were all over the map on this one. <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible way. Right. For Karen, we're going to call her Karen the Hypnotist because she has a really awesome career as a hypnotist. Karen the Hypnotist, if you have any sneaky um, hypnosis tips that one might use on their SO without them knowing, hmm. some of us here have issues falling asleep. Oh, okay. No okay, for hours. Okay. And hours. Um, so anyway, <laughs> she had some great responses, yeah. all related to travel. She thought of oxidized copper in ancient Greece. So okay, kind of got it. All there. Yeah. Also, the Statue of Liberty. In New York City. New York City. New York City. Thank you. Um, Paris, Venice, and the Veriditas of Hildegard von Bingen, okay. which I had to look up. Mm. So the Veriditas was nature's healing power. Okay. By consuming plants or vegetables, the divine power is transferred from the plant to the human. Oh, okay. Like super greens. Oh, right. Like that powder we never drink. And let's go to another response, this time from OG listener, Jupson. Jupson. Thank you, Jupson. Thank you. Jupson says, it vaguely reminds me of my friend Jason who died in a crash when mm. I was in high school, though I can't pin down why. Perhaps it was just his aura. I mean, that's, that is sad. Yes. Super sad. It is. It is. Not to make light of it. No. These strong associations happen all the time. I mean, they don't have to be about a death, but they certainly can can be. I don't know about you, but there are certain like colors I kind of associate with certain people, maybe without thinking. Do any particular colors come to mind for you with any particular person? Uh, why are you looking at me? I'm, t- I'm talking to you. I know. Are you asking like what your color is? No, this is not about me. I'm oh, genuinely okay. asking. No, like, your color changes because I know you so well since we're, you know, we're, we're, we're think. Would you say <laughs> my aura think. is iridescent? <laughs> no, I mean, it's not. I, I feel like your color changes depending on what is going on. What about you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're just moving right along. Come back to me. That's right. the, I, I'm not good on the spot with. These I'm sure this question will come up again with a different sure. color. Sure. Okay. Okay. Listener at Bunhead B, and on, honestly, at Bunhead B was the first to say this, but quite a few of you also mentioned this. Um, said that it reminded them of Viridian City oh. from I don't know stuff. You can help. Uh, maybe you can help me with this one it, from the uh, Po Pokey Pookie Pookie Nine Pokey Nine Ten Do Pokey Moon Pokey 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 Hmm. Po- Poke Pokemon Day. Pokemon. 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 Don't know. Pokemon. Don't know. Pokemon. And then another listener actually, Anne, was kind enough to send us a link to the Viridian City theme song, which I do say kind enough to do that, but on, that's a ter- that's a, a terrible song. It's a terrible song, Anne, and you should be ashamed of yourself. Thank you, Anne. <laughs> it was stuck in my head for a while. I'll have you know. Question number three. Does it remind you of any artworks, packaging, pop culture items? For me, I think about Van Gogh. Oh, for sure. Immediately. Yeah. Um, And at first you're like, wait, why did I think of Van Gogh? Because there's green in almost every single one of his paintings. Yeah, absolutely. So much green in everything too. Not just like landscapes, but also in like skin tones. It's Mm -hmm. awesome. Other things I think of, um, I think about the flowers from the Dutch Golden Age. And the work we are looking at is by Rachel Roish called Roses, Convolvulus, Poppies, and Other Flowers in an Urn on a Stone Ledge, circa 
late 1680s oil on canvas. Do you see what I'm saying? Those greens, man, they grab you. Yeah, it's showing up. It's not very prominent, but it's in there. There's a presence. Yeah, and maybe even the darker tone, the cooler, darker tones. And then lastly, but not leastly, (laughs) I think of women in their birthday suits. Okay, Having a picnic in the grass. Oh, okay. A la Monet. Wait, what? (laughs) I'm just kidding. What did you just say? I said me too. Uh, No, but it's... uh, And listeners, we are, of course, talking about Luncheon on the Grass. By Edouard Manet. From uh, 1863? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds sounds right. right. That's one of the first paintings that I feel like I I I really started to think about composition in a painting. It made an impression on you. No, for sure, for sure. I love how it feels collaged. You and I looked at this together, I think it was maybe a year ago, and you pointed out how weird it actually is. And I don't think I ever thought twice about it. Of course, the naked woman with the two fully clothed men. Yeah, that's... (laughs) That gets all the attention. It's weird. What is weirder about it is the collaged aspect of it. Right. It feels like a movie production, like a lot of those older paintings do, like a a Mm. big budget movie production where they're putting people here, they're painting that for hours. But the way that Manet does it is it's more dreamlike. feels fuzzier. You know what I mean? Right. It starts to recede and look a little more out of focus. Yeah. And then I love the woman who's for some reason in the nasty lake water behind. She's like bigger (laughs) than the the boat. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. That's weird, weird, weird. It's a weird painting. Love it. One of my faves. Yeah. We'll put a pin in this one. We're absolutely going to cover Manet one day. Oh yeah, we'll get into this. Apparently, Lindsay at art.lindsay mentioned a strange movie with okay. a Viridian-colored suburban development <laughs> called Vivarium. Uh, we were unaware of this movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's a little too scary for me to watch. Sorry, Stephanie. You can watch it. Never. In your free time. <laughs> But I watched the trailer. It looks like a very colorful film. I, I think it shows the range of Viridian, right? When you use it in a narrative context. Hmm. So I think it was Anne who said that they would use it in branding because it's a very like oh yes calming color. I, f- I forget exactly what they said. But I mean, I think it shows you when you use color in a narrative way, it can be like very suppressive, very corporate, kind of like slathering something beautiful on, on top of something evil, right? Yeah. So you're like trying to cover something up. So right. colors can can take on different meanings depending on how you use them and where you use them. Think about all of the fake ficus trees in depressing ass office spaces. Yeah, exactly. They're dusty. They're gross. Yeah. They're green. (laughs) They're still green. Well, kind of. Yeah, they're still green. Unless they're sun faded because they've been sitting (gasps) by a window. You're not tricking anyone. They're trying to get like better fake tree. What are you doing? Just look, listeners. Oh, God. Something about me. We've hit it. We've struck a chord. Russell, (laughs) little known fact about Russell over here. I have a green thumb. I'm just going to lay that out there. I have a green thumb. Very green. There are plants that will survive in an office space, which is the overhead lighting. You're literally like polluting the environment to make something that could clean the environment. Just get oh, a Sansy. Yeah. Just get a Sansy. They live Sans-a-darian. anywhere. Ugh, all right. All right. Rant on. over. Apparently, Lindsay also mentioned beryllium, which is a beautiful mineral. Yeah. It, it looks emerald in some places, but viridian in others. And man, that cleavage <laughs> is great. <laughs> In minerals, there's a yeah, certain way that they that they fracture, and yeah. there's different names for it. And this one, I like the cleavage. I don't know. It's appealing to me. Ariana at Mermaid Queen underscore underscore brought up the work of Thomas Wilmer Dewing, mm. who I had never heard of. Right. Russell, did, have you heard of him? No, not at all. I was really impressed with the work. Well, he was apparently from our old stomping grounds okay. in Boston, Ma. Ma. Um, so he has all of these stunning, dense, yeah. foggy, atmospheric paintings. They're just so immersed mm-hmm. in green generally, but a lot of Viridian to be specific. Yeah, they're beautiful. See, I'm right. Yeah. It is Viridian. You see? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I have to say, I've never quite seen a painting like this. The misty green. Thomas, uh, we'll, we'll just call him TDW. Uh, TDW? TWD. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's from a movement of painters called tonalism. Okay. So that overall tone that you see, which a lot of it is mo- what we would call monochromatic in a way. They would use this toned color to create an atmosphere. So another like psychological space, but mm. unlike an Edvard Munch, which can kind of give you uh, maybe like some panic in that psychological space, this has more of a a calming feeling because of that monochromatic tone, which is why, sorry to talk about myself again, I love <laughs> painting things monochrome in our house. Love it. There's definitely a science to that too. Yeah. I don't think it's just preference. I think there definitely is some research behind that. Yeah, because you feel like you're immersed in something. If it's a, a color that you really respond to, it feels good. I agree. You've converted me to be monochromatic. When we started painting our house, mm. you came up to me with this catalog of this bougie ass English paint. I'm sorry, I had showed me these it's monochromatic. Good, it's good pigment, all right? It's good pigment. It is. These. Stephanie, Stephanie, you want me to live in a bad pigment house? No, God, no. All right. Grumpy. Too much grumps. <laughs> so anyway, speaking of the opposite of grumps here, you came up to me so excited and you showed me a bunch of pictures of these monochromatic rooms. I thought you were crazy. Why? It's like, what is this? We're going to paint our house from ceiling to floor. Yeah. Same color. Yeah. I know. That's what you said literally with this conversation is basically verbatim. Other paintings you all mentioned were that of William Adolph's Bouguereau's Les Oriades. Want to describe what we're looking at? <laughs> So we have uh, just a just a sea of naked ladies, um, kind of like a slide, but no water. Just a bunch of limbs and body parts. Are they parts. coming out of the Viridian Lake or going into it? I don't know. And then there, what, what are those centaurs? <laughs> I think they are. There's a lot of orange, a lot of pink, a lot a lot of white, a lot of milky white skin, a lot of milky white skin, which is fine if you're, you know, that's fine. Uh, it's just a lot. It's just a lot of it. <laughs> it's, it's glaring, but they're, they're kind of like floating upwards towards what I assume is like some heavenly Nordstrom in the sky. Maybe it's like a <laughs> Black Friday sale. Oh, it's just as well they're not that, that wearing anything. Yeah. What? Well, they got to get some clothes. But it's a stunning painting. And another painter that y'all mentioned, listeners, was Henri Rousseau. Henri? Henri Rousseau. Oh, sorry about my pronunciation. So he has <laughs> these really large jungle paintings, even though he never left France. Yeah, I love, I love Rousseau. He is what is known as a naive or outsider artist, which really just means that he taught himself how to paint and didn't receive any formal training. I didn't need your uh, art school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, which, speaking of that, I think those terms are insulting a little bit. Um, I think... What- <laughs> no, uh, no, actually, it's naive or outsider. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's neither one of those things. And actually, most artists that are t- like labeled that aren't <laughs> either. So um, art historians, let's have a convention and like get rid of that and come up with something better. I don't know. Yeah. Something less insulting. Please. It's a little insulting. I mean, even though he's in all the museums, right? It's still a little insulting. Yeah. Because it's like saying like he achieved this despite not having institutional access. But it's also kind of a diss. You well, know? Also, 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 <laughs> also. It could be like, um, he chose to remain naive, yeah. yet he found success. Yeah. It's like, um, maybe he just didn't give a fuck. I don't maybe know. he just wanted to fucking <laughs> paint a Scottish terrier in the middle of a jungle. Yes, that's another thing. So he never okay. saw what a jungle get looked off, like. Get off Rousseau's back, okay? <laughs> so you see these little, like, monkeys and doggies in the middle of yeah. what should be a jungle, but it's actually like someone's overgrown garden. I don't know. He doesn't know what he's painting, and I love it. I mean, he does, but it's his vision of the jungle. You go out. Yes. See monkeys, you see tigers, you see lightning, you see Scottish Terrier. So he's so good. We'll cover him in the future, don't worry. Definitely. Question number four How, when, and why do you use Viridian? 
So many of you said you use it when painting in flora, both bright and dark, and everything from dense forests to cacti and cold shadows. Apparently, Lindsay also mentioned shading on skin, mm. which, yes, green works really well with all sorts of skin tones. Absolutely. We mentioned Van Gogh did this earlier. And Viridian is great to mix with. It sounds like it's almost habitual for a non. The, the uh, Viridian killer. Oh, right. <laughs> So she does a lot of landscape work. She says, I mix it with a lot of other pigments, especially when I need them to be darker, but still want intensity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, spoken like a painter. Totally. Awesome. A skilled painter. At this point, I don't think when I use it. I just know nothing else will work but this green. Yeah, I agree. I I mix this color a lot with other pigments. Mm -hmm. It's actually a great color to make that dark, almost blackish brown tone. Hmm. I also reach for it when I want a brighter color to really shine. Okay. So if I'm using like a bright red or bright orange and I want those to pop, it's the perfect color for being sneaky about bringing out contrast. Mix it into colors that are around the red or around the orange, or even if you just use it kind of pure next to it Uh in small doses, it's going to make that red seem brighter because the viridian is, like we said, a lower value. And that happens because red and orange are opposite blue-green on the color wheel. exactly, exactly. Sneaky. Very sneaky. like that. Love that sneaky contrast. What about you, Steph? Are you you reaching for it? I'm more into materials that have a sort of texture or Mm, like a special quality. Yes, a special quality to them that makes them stand out. So if there was a Viridian with that quality, would you would you grab it? I would. Yeah. A lighter Viridian, probably. And then that would make the other colors actually now that you've inspired me. Yes, it would work. Okay. I would reach for it if I saw it. Question number five. What do you associate Viridian with? This is our last question, I believe. What do you think of? All right. I think of freshly cut grass in the summer, in the morning. So it's wet. and a little colder. It's a little cooler. Your lazy ass is now covered in (laughs) grass blades because you walked through the grass as a shortcut. But now you've created a chore for yourself because your ankles and your shoes are covered in grass. So I think of that. (laughs) But I also think of a feeling of coolness and calmness. So like being underneath the shade of a very large tree. Okay. Right? Yeah. It's cool and it's dark and you're calm because you're not hot. Yeah, absolutely. I, actually, that sets up my answer very nicely. You're welcome. Um, the Northern Cascades hiked there a few years ago. Tell me about it, because yeah. I have not been there. Viridian was in a lot of places that day. Like I, I remember there being like a very deep, dark Viridian lake. It was contrasted next to this mound of snow. I don't think it was quite a glacier Ooh. lake. Also, it contrasted wildflowers and grasses that had just like started to grow. Oh, so they wow. looked like almost hot to the touch compared to the other colors that day. So like a chartreuse flame if you can imagine that okay i was taking a break from getting a lot of paintings ready for a show so i couldn't help but just see like colors out in the world as paint tubes you know like my mind was just still in studio mind right yeah i'm like oh there's that color there's that color there's that color the colors of the landscape would shift through different elevations uh, or depending on the positioning of the sun Mm. but viridian was a constant that day well no wonder you fight me so hard on that couch like i've been there i've been to viridian i've seen it i've been immersed in it I've been immersed in that couch. Exactly. I get it now. All right. Karen, the hypnotist, says, 
It also makes me think of peppermint and spearmint. Okay, for sure. see that. Yeah. Eating mint and pistachio ice cream in Italian squares. Sounds delicious. Sounds amazing. (laughs) Anon says, in the summer, looking out over the Appalachians, you just see a sea of many varieties of Viridian green. I can imagine you would. Yeah, and I apologize for my pronunciation of Appalachian. There's like 16 different ways to pronounce it. I know, so I don't know everybody. I'm I'm sure you hit one of them. Okay. Hopefully you didn't offend anybody. I know, again. But if you do, I mean, Listeners, if you're offended, please write Stephanie. Write to me so yeah. I don't fuck up again. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, please. thank you. <laughs> and finally, Anne, we'll end on her here. She says, a deep mystical forest with chubby golden insects. Chubby. Yeah. the <laughs> The walls in a big classical style mansion where maidens spend leisurely days mm. reading and painting. Mm. And my mint condition plant-based tonic. Uh, that's okay. a lot. I don't know what a plant-based tonic is, but sounds beautiful. A lot of refreshing things <laughs> for the eyes. For the mouth. Senses. The senses. <laughs> so really, the uh, totally equal, bougie, utopian dreamland that is this very La Isla de Art Slice, Art Slice Museum that we, we were, we're in, the, la- the laboratories of right oh, now. yeah. Yeah. Overall, though, Stephanie. Russell. I like Viridian. What do you think? What, what are your final thoughts? You like it? You're pro-Viridian? Con-Viridian? What are you? I am very pro-Viridian. You're very pro-Viridian. I don't think I realized how much okay. I actually like it. In fact, I am so pro-Viridian okay. that I'm coming back around on this couch. Oh, God. Here we go. I think this couch is Viridian. No. Absolutely. No. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> Look, this is uh, this is going to be a thing, Stephanie, like on our deathbeds when we're dying together because, you know, we're, we're all, we've chosen to die at the same time. It's a very sweet. I'm Aww. just gonna my dry, You're gonna admit that I'm right? No. My dry my dry <laughs> ass old man mouth. Is, oh my god. It's just gonna like roll over to your ear, press your little ear. Like it's I, it was Viridian. I mean it wasn't Viridian. Damn it. It wasn't Viridian. <laughs> Hey, listeners, look, listen. the thing is, the thing is, we can't go back in time to prove this. She's got some faulty ass photograph that no. she's going to show you that she's probably doctored in, I in have. a weird light. I will admit when I look at the photograph, mm. I see a little Viridian in there, <laughs> but it's not Viridian. Listen, Ugh. I wrote in my diary uh. that night and my diary says, well, for stuff. Well, listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this first little mini-series within a podcast series. (laughs) We're going to keep trying to make these when we have time. We've already compiled data for the first three episodes. We actually got that data back in in August. the summer, yeah. We're sorry. Um, But we've been so busy that we're just now getting to releasing them. So sorry Sorry. about that. See, I mean, we get so busy at our jobs. It's it's kind of comical whenever we say we're going to do something. It takes like three months longer than we expect or three weeks. I don't know. Three times. <laughs> yeah, three times, three whatever. Times. Uh, we do really enjoy talking about color. We were going to start making them actual like art pantry entries in our. No, just look at the Pokemons. Play with the Pokemon cards I gave you. Uh, we were going to make them art pantry entries in our normal episodes, but thought uh, that color was just so subjective that we wanted your input. And we will pose those questions again. So if you've just started listening to Art Slice, you can chime in as well. Yeah, granted, it's been like six months. So uh, might be yeah. some new listeners on board at this point. The questionnaires will be up on this episode's website post at artslicepod.com. If we've taken them down, you've missed your window. Sorry. Gotcha. And the <laughs> next two colors are quinacridone magenta and fluorescent yellow, yeah. which there is a story that a listener sent in about fluorescent yellow that is hilarious. And I'm absolutely excited to tell. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again to Rose of Loyalty Freak Music for letting us use the song I Need to Do It to Be Alive by Soft and Furious from the album Diving in the 
the self. Go ahead and check out their work. Uh, we've been using a lot of Roses music lately just because we really like their mission. If you can, throw them some money on Patreon, buy some of their albums. We'll link them in the show notes. And don't forget to share the show with a friend. Let us know what you thought about Viridian and join us on Patreon. We'll see you next time, listeners. We don't have a sign-off for the color one. We'll see you next time at the at the Division of uh, Color Theory and Color Studies Laboratories at the Art Slice Museum. Stephanie is waving her hand slowly. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.